What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here with another episode of Live from Nerdville. Today, my friend and I, we were both snowed in in different locations. Tom is coming from Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm coming from the tundra here in New York City. And um, Tom has worked with everyone from James Cotton, George Thorogood, Delbert McClinton, Buddy Guy, ZZ Top, Leonard Skinner, Rascal Flats, and I'm trying to read a few more of the gold records behind his, his right shoulder. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tom Hambridge, thanks for being on, my friend. It's great to be here, Joe. This is awesome. Well, you know, it's like, um, you know, we've known each other for a long time, and, and, and my fans would know a lot of the songs that we wrote together, in particular Mountain Climbing and, and, and Evil Mama and, and a lot of stuff that's come out in the last three or four records. And, and, and you know, we've been friends, and, you know, I, I've been an admirer for years, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's great to, like, do some research on your friend because it's, like, it's not creepy. It would be creepy if I was doing it, either, you know, <laughs> and I had an interview. But... A lot of people don't know because you know a lot of people know you from Nashville that you were born in Buffalo, New York. We're we're almost neighbors, three and a half hours, and um, and uh, and you actually have a day, Tom Hambridge Day, December twenty eighth. Every calendar year is Tom Hambridge Day in Buffalo, New York. Tell me, tell me what it's like. What was it like, you know, growing up there? Because it's such a that throughway circuit was such a brutal ground for music. Oh yeah, well uh, yeah. As you know, there's there's so many. Um, it's such a uh, thriving uh, musical area up there. I mean, uh, on ninety, you go from from Buffalo to to Rochester to Syracuse to Ithaca to whatever you know, Albany, all the way to to Western Mass. And so um, yeah, uh, I I, uh, I started playing really young. I started playing drums really young. And I uh, started playing in bands, and um, there was such a creative scene there, and, and blues, and I played with the guys from Spyro Gyra, and all, all right. that community of of jazz and blues and rock, and um, so yeah, it was it was wonderful. But uh, you know, you just got to um, got to deal with the weather a little bit. <laughs> well, that's why you're so good because six months out of the year, you're snowed into the house. You know, we were. Right. That's right. Us upstaters, we were doing lockdowns before it was cool and hip, you know? We were locking ourselves in our room for six months at a time, a year at a time, when it, before it was hip. Who, who was your host um, musically? Who put the drumsticks in your hand, for lack of a better term? You know, um, that's kind of a little bit of a mystery. Uh, I, w I would probably think it was Ringo, um, mm -hmm. but because I had older sisters and an older brother, and they were constantly playing, you know, Beatles music and Rascals, and they were older than me. I was the youngest uh, in the family, and uh, so because my mom says I just started banging on pots and pans when I was like three or four, and then they got me a little drum set when I was five, and that broke. You know, I went through it, and I would play along to the records, right? And so. I would assume Ringo because, uh, you know, the Meet the Beatles and all those records, Revolver, were playing all the time in my house. I do know that that uh, when I ended up playing professionally, uh, I ended up getting gigs with like the Hermits Hermits and Peter Noon and right. Rascals. And I know I know one time Peter Noon sang to me after the first show, he said, you're singing all the background harmonies and you know these songs. I mean, you're not old enough to know my music. Right. And I was able to say, well, you know, I played along 
to yeah. your account, to your when I was really young and I would sing Henry the Eighth and all this stuff. Yeah, right. And so it's just you know feels natural. It wasn't surreal though. I mean, like you know, like the records that influence you that you would jam along with that you would you know, figure out or nudge the needle back. And then, you know, next thing you know, you're on stage with Felix and, 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 and Peter. And, and you're like, you're like, wow, this is surreal because oh, oh, yeah. you, you've made it out of your bedroom onto the big stage with, with the artist that influenced you. I still, uh, I never lose that feeling. I mean, I never, like when I, if I'm playing, uh, you know, come on up with Felix Cavallari or something, you know, yeah. or good loving. I, I mean, I never forget that feeling of listening to that with the headphones on or looking at the album cup wondering what these guys were like you know <clears throat> so uh it's beautiful it's crazy you know i mean i i always regard the 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 young rascals to be honest with you as is a little bit like the american beatles because a lot of conversations that i've had with my mentors and peers and people on this program or just in, in general conversation they would always say it was the beatles and then it was the rascals you know and it was always about the you know felix singing and and those 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 pesky things that we all chase every day songs you know so when did you realize you had a a, a I hate that. I've been trying to find a, a, a word. I should probably look it up in a, in a, in a, a rhyming dictionary or something. But it, it, when did you know you had a knack for songwriting or, or, or pro, pro, propensity for it? You know, like where, where it was like, okay, I, I get the structure. I can put my own songs together. And, you know, not only by listening to other music, but just by composing my own. Uh, I think... Well, I, I was always doing that when I was really young. I saw, so my first band, you know, was really young. I was with my older brother. I was in the third grade. And I remember we would get together for rehearsals and with all these older guys, high school guys, and they would, we would learn Led Zeppelin songs and we would learn Aerosmith songs. And, and I would always have a little cassette thing and I'd say, I have, I have a song. You know, and they were like, what, what is it, by Humble Pie? And I'd be like, right. no, I, it's a song I wrote. <laughs> they would right. just feel like I had three heads. But I kept thinking, well, we're doing Aerosmith songs and they wrote them. We, we're doing these guys' songs. Why, you know, why can't we write them? And so I was always fascinated with that and trying to write. And then right. at, at slowly but surely, a song would creep into a band that I was in. Yes. They'd say, hey, that's kind of cool. And we'd practice it and learn it. And so, so I was always trying to do that. I was always trying to do what I do today. <laughs> yeah right right yeah make music write songs and and from when i was young to now so uh i and i've just been learning along the way you know learning picking up better ways to do it more efficient ways to do it uh eye-opening things where i go oh, i never thought of it that way oh bob dylan oh this lennon mccartney oh wow uh, right. you know um so, so yeah, it's uh, it's just been uh, a process that I'm I'm still learning. Right. How, who do you regard as the greatest blues composer of all time? Well, I mean, a, a lot of people would say Willie Dixon, you know, um, for yes. the amount, you know, of, of stuff he's done. Uh, I mean, you know, Muddy Waters. There's a lot of, you know, obviously there's there's yeah. a, there's there's some wonderful blues composers. But I think, you know, Willie Dixon, damn, he wrote a lot of songs. 
and and he wrote a lot of standards, you know. And you know, the thing I always read about Willie, and I got to meet him one time wow. at, at 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 a gig I was doing with with Earl King in Los Angeles at mm. Club Spikes. On how, I mean, I that was like twelve, you know, or thirteen. It was nineteen ninety or whatever. And and it was this gigantic man with a hat and a cane. And I come off stage and he's like, that was very good, son. And I was like, thank you, thank you very much. He goes, my name is Willie Dixon. And I was like, holy crap, you know? <laughs> I was like, wow, I got to shake his hand. You know, one of the things that, that you know, doing my research, I mean, like, you've played with so many different types of artists and you've produced so many different types of artists. Um, the one artist that, that I, you know, you told me this a few weeks ago, and I didn't know this about you, was you played with Roy Buchanan. And and after you got out of, you know, you went to Berkeley, kind of settled in the Boston area, and, and you, you got, how did you get the gig with Roy? You know, that was that was crazy. I, I uh, was living in Boston, and uh, this, I had played some gigs with this guy, Scott the Cat Anderson, who was mm -hmm. this crazy rockabilly guy, um, really great, but over the top rockabilly guy. And I'd done some gigs with him and he, he called me one afternoon and said, um, I'm going to go out and do a tour with Roy Buchanan and we need a drummer. And would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. And I, and I was probably, you know, nine, 20 years old, something like that. Right. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Cause my older brother had turned me on to Roy Buchanan. And he had all his records, and and we even I even went to see him play at the Niagara Falls Convention Center. I think he was opening for Robin Trower, and I was, and I saw him a couple times in some crazy scenarios. But anyways, it ended up being, uh, uh, you know, you got to have an audition at, at this music complex, and then then we got to have uh, rehearsals and all this stuff was scheduled. None of which happened. None of this stuff happened. <laughs> Just, I met him at the first show at Jonathan Swift's in Cambridge, which is this underground nightclub. Two shows sold out. The next night we were playing the Lone Star in New York, you know, going out on this road. Yeah. On this road. And I met Roy basically as he walked into the club with a cigar about 20 minutes before we we're going to go on. And he said, hey, Tom, nice to meet you. Uh, he said, what do you want to start with? And I thought, I don't know. You know, I mean, uh, whatever, what are we going to play? And, right. and, and, uh, he, so it just, that's, that's how it started. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, it, it, that's how it started. And my relationship with him was, was wonderful because I ended up playing with him up until his death. I did right. his last show we ever did. Right. And, um, ended up being, you know, uh, I learned a lot from him and, and, of of what to do and what not to do. <laughs> As, yeah. You know, you learn those things from some of your heroes. Uh, but um, he was he was just uh, obviously amazing. And I met Danny Gatton through through Roy too, which was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They were they were you know there was always that rumor that that Danny and Roy didn't get on, but they actually had a lot of respect and and love for Absolutely. each other. And and. And that's that's the one thing they try to you know I think you know they try to make up this 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 fake I don't know you know rift between the two because they were both wielding old Telecasters both from the same part of the world and you know 
there's some stylistic similarities. You know, Danny was more steeped in jazz and Hank Garland and Les Paul. Um, yeah. And Roy was more of like, you know, it, it was haunt. You know, the way he played was haunting. You yeah. know, and, and and Roy did tell me uh, at one point because Danny came to a gig I was doing not with Roy. I was doing a gig at the uh, Psychedelic in Bethesda, Maryland, and um, with my band. And he came in. He knew I played with Roy, and um, we had a great, you know, night. He, I actually drove in one of his vintage cars. Uh, nice. back, back to the hotel but anyways Roy had told me that Roy, Roy said he goes I, I said I was doing an interview in, in that area on the radio a local rock station and they asked me about Danny Gatton and he said I was drunk I had I was drunk mm -hmm. and evidently I said, you know, some derogatory things about Danny, and which he can do when he gets drunk because he's a, he gets wise. He gets like a wise guy. That right. that Roy's drunk. He's like, right. all of a sudden he's, yeah, you think you're so big, but you know, he just gets wise. And right. so he said, I said some things that I I would never say, but I did, and Danny was listening. Okay, right. And he said that's how that started, and I apologize later, but but on the air, it sounded like. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I mean, it's it's like, you know, it's pre-internet, pre-everything, you know, so it was like, you know, it was, it was only picked up by Guitar World or, you know, whatever. There was always that undercurrent. You know, like, one of the things I've always, you know, I've just discovered, you know, is how, like, my favorite, my heroes and people that influence me, a lot of times when they, when they get to the gig, it's pretty ramshackle, like like organization wise, rehearsal wise, and they figured it out that they're just so damn good. Now this this could be from everyone to it applies to so many that we know, and they just kind of walk up and it just kind of works out. And you're like, wow, I you know it's just the power. Do you, what do you what do you test that to? Is it the power of the songs? Is it the power of their legend? Is it the power of their mystique? Or is it just sheer luck? You know, I, I I don't think it's luck. I think it's all those other things you just said. I, I really believe that, I mean, I worked with Chuck Berry. I was his band leader. And, and there was no him, talk yeah. about chaos. I mean, right. it was just from the amps to his guitar not having strings on it. I mean, you know, anything could go wrong as we were walking on stage. And, you know, his chord wouldn't work. Uh, uh, Bo Diddley, you know, I, I worked with all these cats that were, you know, it was interesting. I, I, I played drums for uh, Hank Williams Jr. And there's a guy, the same, same deal. And I don't know if you'd consider it, but I, I, I felt that power because we were doing a, a, a TV show for CMT at Milwaukee at the, uh, Summerfest. Right. And I was like the new guy. I was like the, the the guy they brought in. The the band was the band. And they wanted camera angles right. They wanted the set list. They wanted everything. It was going to be this TV show live. And right before we were about to go on, the road manager came and said, Hank's changed everything. It's all messed up. Everyone's messed. Everyone's going crazy. The, the, the video guys, the TV crew are fucked. He wants to start with this. And he wants to start with this song. And, and the band was like, oh, no. And I said, well, listen, look at, 
these songs that he's naming, I've never even played. <laughs> I've got them all. So right. if this guy has decided this and is in his plane on the way here on his private jet, on the way here landing, I'm going to, these guys want me to do it their way. I'm going to do it my way. Right. We went on and played and everybody was on their toes. The camera guys were following him everywhere because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. We were watching every movie made, and it was one of the most electric shows, one of the most fast, you know, it was unbelievable. People said this was electric, and right. it was because he made it like that. Right. He's, I'm not, no, I'm Hank Williams Jr., and I think sometimes Chuck Berry does that. He, he comes in and goes, uh-uh, no, I'm Chuck Berry. I go on when I go on. I do what I want to do. This is the way it goes. Right. And they have the songs, of course, you know, they have the songs and that they can play and sing. Yeah. And it's it's amazing. And, and I've watched I've watched I've watched acts make it hard on everybody just because they can. And I think I think a little they they they, they get a little enjoyment about doing that, changing everything. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like and and, you know, one of the things that that, um, you know, I want to ask you is, is you you're. You know, you had your own band. You're touring with your own band. You work in the East Coast, and 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 you know, working with guys like Chuck Berry and stuff like that. You you first call on everything. What made you move to Nashville of all places? Well, um, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I was when I, I was in Boston, and I was actually I was working with the band Boston, you know, with Tom Schultz. I was working with all these cool things, and I and I had a lot of stuff going on. But I felt um, I felt I had I had done everything there in that circuit so many times that how many more times can I play the Fourth of July in Cape Cod on this and do this thing and the Esplanade here and do the Boston Rocks thing and I just was going and I I had a I had a big record out I had produced this record by Susan Tedeschi called Just Won't Burn right it was blowing up. And I was about to do a Johnny Winter record and all this stuff with the record companies were calling me because I had right. written the songs, played, produced the stuff. So there was a little bit of a buzz. And I thought, and me and my wife had our first daughter, Rachel. And I thought if there's ever a time where maybe I could make a move somewhere right. and, and start, it, start again, this would be it. And uh, I thought of LA, New York, and Nashville. And Nashville was actually the third place. Right. And L.A. just didn't seem uh, it just didn't fit me. And uh, then I went to New York and we'd had Rachel and I thought I didn't know where the schools and, and I couldn't get a big enough place financially, right. all that stuff. And I told, told my wife, let's just take a flight down to Nashville just to check it out. I know there's music happening there and uh, went here and we got off the plane and, and literally we were in town for half an hour and my wife said, I could live here. People were like, hey, who's a little baby? Hey, how you doing? What, what are you doing? It just was a whole different vibe, you know? Right. So so I moved here and started from from nothing, zero. I mean, I, I knew nobody, and but I knew that um, I had done a lot of things, and I, I brought that tool belt with me, whether I had a hammer over here and I that, that, you know, I could play drums, I could produce a record, I could maybe do that, I could... You know, to play on your record, I could go on the road with you if you want, whatever. And I just had a lot of stuff that I thought, 
maybe I can carve some shit out. And uh, that's how it started. And, and, and obviously you don't really know. I mean, I would meet people and, you know, a writer that was, I had seen his name on records and I was like, Oh my gosh, how are you doing? He'd go, did you, are you the guy that wrote a uh, rock me right? Or right. cause he had read stuff. Right. I realized that. And I'd go, yeah. And he'd say, well, you want to get together? And so that's how it started. You know, that's the thing. It's, um, you know, I remember uh, hearing of Susan um, in the mid nineties. And like you said, it was, that, it was that circuit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember, yeah. I remember uh, God in the early nineties going with Danny to this place called Johnny D's and, and yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? It's, and, and you're, and you're, and you're correct. It is, you could, it's almost like the state of Texas. You could, you could make a living staying in a tri-state area you know, Eastern New York, New York City, Boston, Connecticut, Rhode Island, you know, like all the, you know, all that stuff, New Hampshire. And, um, you know, I remember hearing Susan and, uh, and I just remembered going, I'm like, I wonder if she's related to the, that, that, the, the store, right? The Tedeschi Markets. And I think she is. She is. Yeah. That was like her grandfather's grandfather's stores. And it's like a chain for those who don't know. It's, it, it's a, they're like convenience stores. They're like seven 11s and you, you know, I think they still get, you know, and, and I was like, well, that's, and, and when I heard that song, rock me, right. It was on a pre telecast Grammy thing. She was up for best new artist. Right. And, and, and it just floored me. And I started looking up, you know, it's like, who wrote it and blah, blah, blah. And then that's when I became aware of you. And, and so my question is, is when you start getting calls from like, like a lot of, you know, blues guys, now, okay, you're writing songs, you're producing, help me out, you know? And, and some of these guys, you know, that you, these artists you work with have had a lot of records out previously, this guy included. So, how do you approach that as a songwriter, knowing that you're inheriting this gigantic back catalog, but you still want to make something new and fresh and get them inspired? Because a lot of times they had written all their great songs 20, 30 years before. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I love it and I love the whole process of it. And I'm fans of a lot of the guys that I write with. So when it, you know, George Thurgood or whoever, Joe Lewis Walker, I know, I know that they, they have a, a, a long history of their work. And I know that going in, right. but um, I'm always excited about trying to, trying to write a record that is, is I'm always, you know, I, I, this is going to kind of sound weird, but I, I'm always trying to write their, write their best record, even though they've got great records. I, I always say, let's, that's inside. I'm going, I want to write the record that people go, you know, skin deep. That's the best record. You know what I mean? Or, or something. Yeah. At, least, at least there's going to be a group of people that are going to say that and believe it because right. I don't want to cheat the beat anywhere. I don't want to have a loose link in the chain anywhere. So that's where I go into it, which is makes it hard because a lot of blues artists would send me stuff. And I would say, I don't want to make that record. I, that's how I would say, I don't want to make that record. And they go, why? I go, I don't think it's strong. I don't think the songs are strong. Right. And what, what are you talking about? But it would get these guys, their juices flowing, whether they get mad at me or whatever, but I'd go, and they go, well, well, uh, what do you mean? You don't think that these songs are good? And I go, I think they're okay, but right. I don't want to make an okay record. It looks like you've made 10 okay records. 
Yes. Which is why you're reaching out to me now. Um, right. You want to make a great record, and I want to make a great record because my name's going to be on it. So let's try to find the best songs and make the best thing we can do, you know, that's better than maybe your last few records. Let's see if we can try to up that. And sometimes they'll say, well, what? What's a song that's better than this song? And I'll say, um, you know, I'm writing today with this guy. I'll send you the song we wrote today. And I'll right. I'll send them the song. And, and sometimes there's been occasions, I remember one guy calling me back and goes, dude, I, I'm crying here. I played it. My wife's, it's my favorite song. My wife's favorite song. Right. I wrote that today. And I go, well, that's what we're doing. We're trying to write stuff that makes you feel something. Let's get 12 of those, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and it's difficult because a lot of times, you know, artists that are the legacy artists, their lifestyle, you know, they're not writing with the same, you know, piss and vinegar and fight as they had when they were when they were kids. But to me, you know, and to me, you know, the, the stuff you've done with Buddy Guy, those are to me like that that group of records. I would say there's like five, six, maybe seven of them that you've produced and written. To me, that's the strongest material he's ever put out consistently. And I mean, you know, even if you go back to, to when he was with Junior Wells and, and stuff like that, there was there was always moments, but consistent body of work that you've done with Buddy is is well, I'm you know looking behind your left shoulder. You've won Grammys for this, you know what I mean, and and rightfully so. What you know, as a producer, is it is it something that you like when you when you you know you're going to have to get under somebody's skin. Like, do you and 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 challenge them because it is it's really psychology, and and I know this <laughs> on both sides of the glass. I've I've you know on both sides. I've I've been the crazy one on the other side too. And what 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 do you do with someone who goes, oh, I'm so and so, you know, who do you think you are? But you're going, wait a minute, but you're so and so that isn't in his prime, you know, and you got to poke the bear. Like, like, what's the psychology behind that? Well, you know, one of the things I do is I, I reach out, usually the artists I'm working with, you know, are, I, I grew up buying their records, buying tickets to see. Right. So I, I try to make them aware of that, that, hey, listen, I want to get the record that we're making I want to go to record theater and buy it and come home and take the shrink wrap off because I'm a fan of yours. I want, I can't wait to put the needle down on the first song and figure out what's the first song of the record. Why did you choose that? Oh my gosh. What's it sound like? What are you doing? So I'm not, I'm not taking this lightly. I want this to be as, as a, all your fans to be waiting and can't wait to hear this. And I don't want to let your fans down. I don't want to let those people down. Right. And they start to go, shit, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it, it is real. Because right. they can, if they're at a certain spot, they can just put out something. Yeah. And they're not going to, you know, their fans are going to come to the show anyways to hear them play their hits. They're not, they're not really in touch that way. But I go, look at every one of those people that's going to buy this record. I want them to go, holy shit, you're back. You are on your, this, this is unbelievable. This is as good as, you know, rocks or whatever, you know? And so that's how I, I, I try to get them to, to get in the game. 
you know? Yeah. You know, throw him the ball and go, I'm going to go long. You still, can yeah. you still throw? You know? But, yeah, exactly. Well, I also think, too, it's, it's, it's the fact that you're a consumer of this. You're not just a producer of it and you just go, oh, well, it's going to, the, I, no, I will never listen to it again. And, and you just kind of babysit the process. You actually go, no, that's like you envision the whole thing from, from song to packaging to the whole, the, exactly. and, and going, man, this is a cool thing. And, and you look at it from the lenses of the kid who bought the record. Concept of the whole record. Yeah. Well, you know, what's the reason you're putting, what is this? Is this a, you know, I did George Thorogood's 2120 South Michigan Avenue. Right. Was where Chess Records was. Yeah. We did High Heel Sneakers and we did these songs, Let It Rock. We did these songs, you know, Buddy Guy, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, The Blues is Alive and Well. You know, well, that's about about him, a few good years. Blue No More. You know, I'm getting to the end of my story and I, I, I want to make sure that the blues is standing when right. I'm not around. You know, there's a whole concept that even sometimes the artist doesn't even know I'm writing about that, you know, right. until afterwards, you know, yeah. or the company sometimes doesn't know. Well, you know, I mean, like, you know, it's it's, you know, artists like Susan and, and you know, Buddy are like, you know, you're the you're there. You're their not so secret weapon, you know, because you have this you have this this ability to speak in their voice in in a way that sounds like is if they put pen to paper and wrote it themselves, but you 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 get into the psychology of it. I have a question. What's the best song you've ever wrote that didn't do anything? And what's what's the your least favorite or worst song that ended up exploding and you go, I don't how how? Boy. Well I think I think anything that explodes and does well, right. I look at it as especially if I wrote it, I just go well, I guess I must have been thinking correctly because I don't know something. You know how you hear something that, why did they pick that song? But it resonates with people. But yeah. there have been many, many songs that I've thought, um, you know, this is, this is a winner. This is a hit and nobody wants to record it. Right. Or, um, I mean, I, you know, and then there's other, other things like, for example, there's a song on the, on the, the Kingfish record that I did that, uh, uh, you know, with nominated for Grammy this year and whatever was huge. And of course, you know, I wrote Fresh Out and it was the most played blues song on whatever XM and all that stuff and won, a, won the Blues Award. But I had a song on it called Listen, which I wrote with, with Chris Stone right here. And um, Kev Mo sang on it and it was left of center. It was more of like an Americana kind of thing, but it was beautiful. And everyone who bought the record or a lot of people really gravitated toward that. But it never saw the light of day. It could never find its way out of the blues thing right? somewhere. So there's, there's songs like that where I think, oh man, that, that could have been a hit, just like a Susan Tedeschi song I wrote, but, but it, it didn't, didn't see any uh, airplay, it, you know, yeah. nobody knew how to, how to deal with it. That's, and you know, the, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people don't realize about hit songs. It's, it's the right song at the right time with the right artist. If you you have to have all those things coalesce, unless you know, and because you do get these gems, you know. I I had a song I wrote. I've, one of my favorite songs I've ever been a part of is a song called "Self Inflicted Wounds," you know. And I just thought, I would. This is going to be the next slow gen. This uh, uh, crickets. I'm like, 
Yeah, so much so I play it for spite every night. I play it for spite. Because <laughs> well, I like it. Turning some that's people one, on every night. <laughs> that's one for me, you know? And 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 it's and it, and then you like the the song that you almost bury at the back of the record, going, ah, I'm not sure if we even want to put it on there. The fans will go, oh, I love that. And you're like, well, I didn't really think about that one. I really worked hard, hard on this one, but you didn't. Nobody gets it. And and that's the problem. Is is it's not a problem. It's the, it's the truth. It's the work is subjective, you know. And 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 the fans tell you, you know, you know, uh, you know how how you know how it goes um talk to me about kingfish because i think he's the next superstar you know um and and how did you get involved working with him it was a pro obviously probably through buddy guy you're up you're absolutely right yeah buddy buddy was very instrumental in that we i was out uh, with another artist i was producing uh quinn sullivan mm -hmm. and we were out in, in portland oregon uh doing some shows with buddy and quinn and uh <clears throat> Kingfish was there. I think he played in the afternoon or something, or but he wanted to stay to see Buddy, and he didn't know Buddy. He just wanted to stay. And uh, so uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, in, in any event, he sat in. We brought him out to to play with us, and then about maybe a month later, three weeks later, I was having dinner with Buddy Guy in San Diego, and he said uh, that Kingfish kid. He just brought it up. That right. King did. He goes. Uh, he goes. You know, we should do something with him. And I said, okay. And he said, uh, you should find out what he's doing, and we need to make a record. And you, I want you to write the songs and do what you do for me. Do it right. for him. And I was just kind of just eating, going, okay. Do you know how to find him? And he's like, nope. And I go, okay. And I said, and how would we do this? <laughs> you know, and he goes, he, you know, getting to that question of, right. you know, and he said, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for it. Just do it. Right. So I, uh, I actually asked Buddy's manager. I said, did Buddy mention anything to you? He goes, yeah. He said, you're going to produce this record for King. You know, so I knew it was real. Yeah. And I, I, I've tracked down Kingfish and I found him and his mother. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he had a manager named uh, Rick, uh, who's great. And they had no record deal. They had nothing. They were just trying to figure out what to do. Right. So with Buddy's influence, I, I brought Kingfish right here. And I wrote like six songs before he got here for him. And, and, and in one day, we wrote, I want to say, five songs or six right. songs sitting right here. He had ideas. He had songs that he was working on. I had stuff. We just made it happen and uh, um, went in and, and cut this record. I, I, I got Buddy to play on it, um, which was, you know, another thing where, where I, I wrote the song Fresh Out and I was going to have Buddy on it. So I flew to Chicago to put Buddy on it and he's listening to it going, why isn't this on my record? <laughs> 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 and I said, I said, well, you, you, this is a Kingfish record. You wanted it for Kingfish. He goes, well, why didn't you give me this song? I said, well, I am giving you this song, but this is for the project that you want to do for Kingfish. Right. And he goes, oh yeah, 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 that's a good idea. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, like, but, but it, because he's helping, and and um, yeah, yeah. so it all worked out. And I sent the record to Bruce at Alligator, and 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 we, 
Buddy's Buddy booking agent paradigm mm-hmm. became involved, and and it just everything like you said, all the things lined up, and this record came out and changed his life, and 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 you know it's wonderful. Well, you know that's that that's that's exactly the mindset behind. Um, and I watched what you were doing with Kingfish, and and I did basically the same thing with Joanna Connor, and said. You know, great talent can only stay dormant for so long and unless somebody just wakes up one morning and goes, let's let's do this, you know, and 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 you have to pitch to a label just if you're, you know, you know, lucky enough in life, you could just just get it done. We'll sort it out later. And 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 it's a testament to your vision and and Buddy's vision that 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 you guys would do something like that for him, because because you know, in 2020 or 2019, whenever you guys did the record, you know, that's, you know, his, the odds of him being able to put the songs together, self-finance and, and get this thing off the ground, his, his challenges were going to be a lot greater if, 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 you know, your, yourself and buddy didn't just go here, here's a nudge, you know, and shove right. him out to the world. And, and that's a big, that's a big deal. And he's going to be a big star, you know? It's a beautiful thing you did with Joanna because that's that's you know people need to do that. That's how I was telling someone the other day. You know, you, you, they were asking me about something, and 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 the idea was that if you don't try to get someone in the room or open the door for somebody, they can't get in the room. Right. You know, and so sometimes you have to do that, even if it means saying you know you got to introduce people. You know, this is a, you know, and I was saying that I think it was about an engineer that I use and I was producing a record for somebody and they're saying, how did you get a, get a hold of this guy? And I said, well, I thought he was great, but no one was using him. Right. Why isn't, you know, how do you get to be the guy on these records? You know, I mean, you gotta be good, but once you're really, really good and Kingfish was really good. And I think Buddy saw that, saw and felt this kid sings and plays great and it feels something and there's probably no way he's going to see the world's going to hear him unless I do something. And, right. and some people don't do that things. You know, they think about it, but they don't do it. He puts his, his money where his mouth is. And he just yeah. said, do it. Yeah. And, and it, it, that's, that's, it's as simple as that. If you believe in someone and, and, you have somebody willing to go along on that journey. Um, before we wrap up, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about like the the importance of the arts in the COVID era, um, and how like the, the 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 music and the arts. It seems like it's it's somewhat being left. It's not in the conversation, and I am not sure why. And it, it to me, it enriches so many people's lives. Not only the people who make the art, but the people who consume it, it really means something. You know, tell me, tell me, uh, you know, a, a, just your, your thoughts on, on, you know, how we keep the arts in the, the forefront of people's minds. So, so it doesn't seem like it's a, a, when it comes back, it's some sort of museum throwback to a bygone era. Well, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, I, I am, uh, yeah, it, it does bother me that, that we're not in the conversation. Uh, musicians and right. people that have, that have worked their whole life at something at a craft f- that that creates joy for so many people and uh, 
they're not on the list anymore. Um, and, and, and so, uh, I don't know. It, it's nerve wracking. You know, I just did, uh, I played, um, the Ryman this weekend, this Saturday, I guess I did with the, uh, Almond, big Almond brothers tribute thing. Mm-hmm. And they asked me to come out and play. And, uh, it was, it really did so much good for me because obviously I was out on the road with, with buddy and I had a record out and I was touring and we shut down in March or whatever, right after your your cruise. And, yeah. Uh, nice. Um, and then I've been fortunate to make records and write songs with you and work on records that you're you're ranking and and I'm in the middle of a couple of records, right? Another Kingfish record and all this stuff, doing it through Zoom and and, and other ways. But uh, I hadn't gone out and played and experienced live music, and I didn't even know how I was gonna. How was all going to happen? Who was going to be in the audience? Right. What was going to be doing? I and I left my house, drove down to the Ryman, parked, walked inside, and when I walked on stage, and all these musicians were there, and they were all standing there, everyone was masked, but I just and they all were like, "Tom, how you doing, man? You know, hey, what's happening?" I just felt this camaraderie, like this, this, this warmth of yeah. Oh my gosh! This is what I miss. This is where the and these guys had been out on the road playing these shows, and I thought, thank God, these guys are doing that. They're they're out and they're just trying to start it. it right. A little spark, you know. It was sold out, but it was, uh, you know, like nobody could sit totally together. But the the fact that we were all together again, and you know, just feeling. Uh, of uh, this brotherly thing of music, and we have to do this. We have to play, and I felt a joy playing that night on stage. I, I really had this. It was very emotional. I thought, we're not talking about politics. We're not sitting at home watching TV. We're not d- discussing something that we can't change in life. We're musicians, right? We're, you know, we need to go out. You need to be on stage somewhere tonight playing. You yeah. know, people need that from you so we need to i don't know the answer i don't know when you know that's people are people call me and say hey i heard you're playing uh austin city limits in you know whatever and i go i don't know i i it's still on the books i guess but i don't know you know yeah i mean there's a lot of things i mean we still have tours on the books we still have red rocks on the books and to, to me it's like my position on it and it is and it's not it's not political it's 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 a simple truth is if somebody told the uh, the people that have been deemed essential okay let's say let's say okay you could you could keep working in your your field now let's say for some reasons musicians told politicians that they can't work and get paid until musicians say so, and then offer them some sort of like, you know, half-assed, you know, uh, you know, yeah. go, well, we're going to let you perform on the street. Or, oh, you know, we, we, you know, you can play, you know, you, you know, I can play Madison Square Garden right now, okay, to, to 10% house. Who's going to go? I mean, like, who's, who, it's not worth opening the doors, you know what I mean? But, it, it, and it's like, if they, if it was, us doing it to them so loud would would 
be the 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 cries for injustice, you know. But we, as a community, understand that what we do is a mass gathering. Right. By is mass gathering by nature, but there's like you know people like Devin and and you know those guys that are going out there and we're going to do it a little bit in March and and early April and we're going to go out and play five socially distanced shows. At some point, you got to go. We got to do this, or else, or else, or else, go buy the plywood and board up the windows and write out of business. It's just it's that it's that simple, you know. And it and it's I'm you know hopefully we everybody gets back to to some sort of normalcy by the fall. I mean, I hope that the vaccine does that with everyone's state of mind too. Everyone just goes, okay, well we have an answer. You right. Know, it's, not, it's not the abyss. It's not if I go to see, you know, ZZ Top, I might be dead in a month. You know, <laughs> you, know you don't want to, you know, you don't. Want. It's so, it's, yeah. So, I, once again, I, th I think if, if, you know, but see, musicians can't get the vaccine. And, you know, unless, I mean, Buddy, I guess, is of the age he can get it now, you know, but, but, you know, there, there's, there's a, you know, there's a 30-year-old musician somewhere going, I can't leave the house because I, I live with my mom and dad or something. I don't want to get them sick. And, I, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Yeah, what it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a tough scenario and, and, you know, without answers. And, and you know, maybe, you know, eventually it has to turn the corner. And, and you know, because, you know, doing live streams is fun. And it's, and it's, and it's great. Like you said, it's just the, being on stage with your fellow musicians. It's just fantastic. I like it. But the crowd, the crowd is part of this thing too. And and it's a big part of it. it yeah. Not only for the crowd itself, but for the musicians who are playing for the crowd. It's a it's and I a, the energy Saturday. You know, they were they were listening to every solo and applauding after it. And they were they were they every vibe was I could feel this energy again. You know? Right. Just right. warmth. Like a hug. <laughs> Tom, thank you very much for being here. You know, you know, we've been friends for a while and a long, actually a long time. And um, I, I have the utmost respect for you. And you know, you're 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 really, you know, I I I, he I hesitate to say this, but I'm going to say it. You're the George Martin of the blues, my friend. You know, you're <laughs> you're everybody's secret weapon. You know, and 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 it's it's not so secret, but it, but it's you know, it, it's it's great what you do for the community, and 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 you make awesome records, and and uh, and and on a on a on a uh, just a personal note, after we hang up this interview, Tom and I are actually going to write a song today. So this is what we do, you know, this is how we usually work. Anyway, but thanks for being here, my friend. Thank you for having me. It's it's a it's an honor and a privilege to to work with you, and 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 actually be involved in this is is pretty nice. Thank you. Well, no problem. We, and I was supposed to be in Nashville, but we, everybody got snowed in. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen, the great Tom Hambridge. This has been Live from Nerdville. My name is Joe Bonamassa, and we'll see you next week.